In the world of public media shows and podcasts, Glenn Washington's unique storytelling style sets him apart from the rest. With an element of high drama, his way of relating a story is intimate and engaging and never, never dull. That may come from his unusual background, growing up sheltered in a strict religious household in rural Michigan. Friends and cousins were his lifeline to popular culture, as he describes in this edition of In the Groove. I grew up in the country, so I had this, uh, this dichotomy going on. My cousins and my uncles and stuff, they were, you know, they, they're Detroit folks. They were from the city, right? And um, my uncle actually was a producer on the D- Detroit scene. Which was a dance show, kind of like Soul Train in Detroit back in the day. I don't know what version of that might still be going on right now. My cousins would dance on the scene. They were the cool kids. And when I moved out to the country, we kind of got shut off from everything that was like basically my culture. Um, and uh, so I would come back every time we'd come back to Detroit, I would they would very, very graciously give me a boot camp on what was cool at the time, you know, and that's when you know all, all the uh, the switch and the barge and all that kind of stuff. And especially back in the day, it was like uh, Michael Jackson and, and the Jackson 5. That was kind of my, my early formative stuff. Um, but being in the country, what we were listening to at the time was uh, ACDC, Back in Black. I was coming at it from two very, very different angles. Plus, the church didn't like any of this stuff. This was all on the down low in the first place anyway. Let me tell you, sir, the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Unfortunately, though, there wasn't even a radio station that I could tune into. We were I was living in Kingston, Michigan, and Marlette, Michigan, Carroll, Michigan. It's not, it was either country or um, Bible radio, radio anyway. So it was really tough. First album I bought was, it might have been off the wall, but it was, uh, it was something by Michael Jackson. There's no question about it. Let me tell you what I do remember. See, being a church kid, when Thriller first came out, when the, there was a there was a video, it was like a it was a it was a video event, and everybody was talking about it. Everybody was talking about it, and we were not allowed to see it. We're not allowed to see th- uh, the Thriller video, and I was so sad and so upset. I went to school the next day, and I remember this. I remember this almost better than I remember eventually seeing the video. A buddy of mine, Todd Schultz, there were two kids who weren't allowed to see the, the, uh, the Thriller video in the high school. And Todd thoughtfully did a play-by-play description of every single act of the Thriller video. And I think I almost remember Todd's performance more than I rem- remember Michael Jackson's. It was great. It's close to me. 
He got me. He, he's, again, another lifeline by a friend. He, he really put all his heart and soul into letting us know what we missed. When I was in college, I went to Japan um, for a lot of part of my, my college years. And I listened to a lot of kind of Japanese rock and roll at the time, uh, which was cool. But at the same time, I remember the Depeche Mode 101 live album. I remember like listening to that on cassette and riding through rice fields on the way to school as being one of the most formative things. Um, that Depeche Mode stuff, that New Order stuff, and being able to exchange all kinds of different stuff with my new Japanese friends. They assumed that I had a, a background in Motown, and I kind of did. If my parents, if they listened to anything at home, it would be like Sam Cooke or the Soul Spinners or the Temptations, stuff like that which I love. That's definitely part of the backbone of, of what I, I would say is my musical education. Away from me, 